0: Um, we 're going to be reading from Colossians chapter three um, and this week we 're going to be looking at verses one through to se- one through to eleven we were going to do to seventeen um, but man, as I was studying it, there was so much stuff I just could not I needed like two hours to get through everything and so next week we will pick it up and we 'll do twelve to seventeen, but this week we 're going to be focusing on verses 1 through to 11. And so I'm going to read. And as I read, make sure to read along with me in the, in your, in the best way that you can. If then um, you have been raised with Christ, um, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above Here, there is not Greek and Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, um, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. I love it. All right, pray with me. Father, thank you so much for your love and care for us. Thank you for your word. Um, as we read, just reminding us, giving us an overview of um all that Jesus Christ has done for us. We are here, and we are alive, and we are breathing, and um we have so we are we understand your existence all because of what you 've done for us through Jesus Christ, and so we are here to lift him up and exalt him and so as we do that. May you bring about comfort um, and encouragement in the lives of those who need it. And also, may you challenge us as well, Um, because we need to be challenged. We need to look at our own lives, and we need to see the ways our lives are not lining up to you. And so, Father, I pray um, that you would absolutely bring about your purposes in our lives as we look at your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. As a church, um, what we've been doing is that we've been working through um, a book located within the New Testament um, section of the Bible. In fact, Colossians is not a book, um, but it's a letter. It's a letter penned by a Christian leader named Paul to followers of Jesus in a city called Colossae. Now, this wise, godly, and passionate Christian leader named Paul is not the same man um, at the time he writes this letter. Surprisingly, when we're first introduced to Paul, um, that is in the book of Acts, he's actually this violent religious bigot who is actively working to destroy Christianity and followers of Jesus, okay? Because he had made it his life's purpose to destroy Christianity, and that was what he was about. And if you're familiar with his story, his biography, you know that he's unsuccessful when it comes to his mission to destroy um, Christianity. Because what happens to him that he ends up, having an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ, and as a result of this life-changing experience, his life is completely turned upside down. He is radically saved, and right away what he does is that he commits his entire life to the person and mission of Jesus Christ. From then on, Paul traveled Tens of thousands of miles around the Mediterranean, spreading the word of Jesus and starting new churches. He is one of the most important figures in the history of our Christian faith. He was the first great Christian theologian, and he's responsible for establishing some of the foundations of our faith. Paul went on to write 13, all right, 13 of the 27 books. Of the old, te- of the new testament, crafting some of the most beautiful and important passages in the whole of the Bible. Paul lived fully for Jesus, right? His life was for Jesus and it was all about Jesus. And as a result of his devotion to Jesus, what ended up happening to him is that he was persecuted for being all about Jesus. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? Here was a man who was gung-ho and passionate about trying to destroy Christians, he gets radically saved, passionate about spreading the gospel, and he gets persecuted um, for you know, being all about Jesus. But he, he, you know, he ends up being put in prison. Um, but what happens is that imprisonment didn't stop him from prison. He wrote several letters to churches and leaders encouraging them in the faith. Challenging them to be faithful and addressing issues that they encountered. And this St. Paul is the author of this letter to the church in a first century city called Colossae. He wrote this letter to the followers of Jesus in this city to strongly encourage them. To continue to grow in their knowledge of Jesus. And so from the first line of this letter, we've been studying Colossians for like 12 weeks now or 10 weeks. I don't know. I can't remember. But from the first line of this letter, Paul has been applauding um, their solid and vibrant faith. Right? Chapter 1. Okay, verse 4, he thanks God for their faith in Christ and love to all the saints. They unquestionably knew the grace of God in truth, for the gospel had brought forth fruit among them. If you look at verse 6 of chapter 1, and Paul even observes their order and the steadfastness of their faith in Christ. That is chapter 2, verse 5. Even though the disciples of Jesus in Colossae were seemingly vibrant and solid in their faith, they faced significant danger from false teachers. And these false teachers, what they did was they went around promoting new ideologies and philosophies that threatened to undermine and shipwreck their faith in Jesus. So, for the past two weeks or so, what we've been looking at, and we looked at this last week, what we've been looking at um, is that these, these uh, we've been looking at these new ideologies and philosophies. These false teachers were trying to promote within the church. So, last week we looked at legalism. Okay, legalism was one of the things they were trying um, to spread in the church. And legalism basically is us trying to gain God's love through our works, right? And so Paul is reminding them that you don't gain God's love through what you do, right? You have God's love and God's grace and God's mercy in Jesus Christ. And it's out of that overflow, out of what you have That you live for Jesus and you pray and you read the Bible. We looked at legalism. We also looked at mysticism last week. And mysticism is basically when we um, prioritize or we pursue emotional feelings, right? Um, as something that determines um, our spiritual maturity, right? And so uh, mysticism becomes all about emotions. And I, I feel, you know, I, you know, when I go to church, I want to have a feeling, right? Um, feelings are good. We talked about it. But feelings are not what we seek, right? We seek God and who he is. And those feelings and emotions will follow suit. And so we looked at that. We looked at that last week and said, that's what these false teachers were doing. They infiltrated the church. And what they were doing was promoting all of these new ways of doing Christianity in the church. Philip Jensen, um, who's an author from Australia, right? I'm going to quote several Australians today because I can and I want to. Um, Australia (laughs) describes the false teaching in this way, it's false teaching. Someone was suggesting that there was more to Christianity than receiving Christ Jesus as Lord and growing in him. There was a next step or an alternative step or a series of rules or practices to be followed. And these were supposedly paths to a higher, fuller, deeper knowledge of God. These teachers stood in judgment over other members of the Colossian church, seeking to disqualify them or condemn them. Anyone who didn't follow their teachings. So, with this all in mind, we're going to get into our passage, and we're going to start with the first four verses. All right, Um, first four verses. So, the first four four verses we read. All right, Colossians three, chapter um, um, verses one to four. This passage is important in the flow of this letter, and the reason why is um, it's the hinge between um, Paul's strong attack on the false teachers in chapter 2, verse 8 to 23, and his positive instruction about Christian living. In um, the first four verses as well, Paul begins by making some rather significant statements about the believers in Colossae. And the statements he makes has to do with their identity in Christ. Okay, we all identify with someone or something. Okay, um, I, you know, I'm a big soccer fan. And so, you know, I identify myself with the best team in the Premier League. Right, Jeff? Where is he? With the best team in the Premier League called Tottenham Hotspur, right? And so I identify because I watch all their games. I have their kit and everything. We all identify with something. All right, you might identify yourself with, uh, you know, the school you went to or the college or whatever. And so, what Paul is doing here is that he is reminding them from the outset that their identity and the most important thing that defines them is Jesus Christ, not anything else. He lets them know, first of all, that they identify with Jesus in his death and resurrection, okay? He starts off verse, look at verse 3. Verse 3, what does it say? It says, for you have died, right? And your life is hidden with Christ in God, okay? Um, So he's saying to them, you identify with Christ in his death. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, if then you have been raised with Christ... And so there he's linking and uniting them with the death and resurrection of Jesus, okay? And because they identify with Jesus in his death and resurrection and are now united with him, he gives them an insight into their future. Paul says, when Christ appears, look at verse 4, when Christ who is your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So, what's happening here, and Paul's aim, and what he's trying to communicate to the Colossians within these four verses, is that they identify with Jesus Christ in his death, resurrection, and in his future rule as King of Kings. This is summed up well, very well, by Tom Wright when he says, Here. What's going on here is that we have a full description of the Christian's true status. With Christ, the believer, the Christian, has died, he is risen, and he will appear in glory. This is an incredible truth. Because this is communicating to all of us that if you are here... And you are a Christian, you have died with Christ, okay? And you have risen with Christ, and as a result of that, when Jesus Christ comes back, when he appears, we will be identified as his people, and who we really are will be revealed to the world, okay? We're going to get more into what it means to die and rise with jesus um but let's move on also in um chapter three verse one to four we also discover um not just the fact that we identify with jesus in his death and resurrection but we also discover um the identity of jesus christ himself who he truly is and this is an important part and so just hang with me and listen jesus okay Most of you know this, but this is a recap, okay? Jesus was a first century Jew who was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. He engaged in public ministry in his early 30s and died through crucifixion in and around 30 AD. And this letter by Paul to the church, to a church, to a group of followers of Jesus in a city, first city called Colossae, was written 25 years after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension. In this verse and throughout this letter, Paul refers to Jesus as the Christ. Okay? You guys have heard the term Christ before, right? The term or title Christ, if you didn't know this, is taken from the Old Testament. It means anointed one. And the title, anointed one, was a Jewish way of saying that an individual was God's king, right? And so, if we all got in a big, chunky time machine and we went back to the first century, okay, and we ended up in Colossae, and we heard the word Christ, right, what would um, come in our minds, what, how we would respond is like, wow, Christ? Christ is the coming king, right? That is how we will respond because that would be the definition of what Christ is. is God's king. Let's keep going. In ancient Jewish tradition, kings were chosen and installed through anointing with oil. Okay, it's different to our day. You guys are American. You don't understand like king and installment and all of that. But England, when I'm f- where I'm from, we still have like the royal family and a monarchy and everything like that. We do. And so when a new king or a queen comes on the throne, right, how they are installed is that they sit there on this big fat golden amazing throne and they just wear this big crown right and they do this whole ceremony and they get a sword and they just tap it on their shoulders and all of that that is how someone is installed as a king in our modern day England okay but back then right if someone is installed as a king what would happen is they would get a big jug glass of oil and they would pour it all over them fun no let's move on (laughs) that is how jewish tradition would install um, um, a king okay therefore christ wasn't jesus's last name okay it's not as if when he received mail (laughs) right it would have you know to j christ right christ wasn't jesus's last name It was more of a title like saying King Jesus. It described the ruler or king of Israel. And so for hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, the Jews had not had a king. The prophets of the Old Testament looked forward to a time when God would send a great king to deliver Israel from their oppressors and establish a dominant kingdom. In this letter... This is what's happening, and it's important, and I want you to listen carefully. Paul is saying that Jesus, the Jew who was crucified 25 years ago and is now risen and alive, is the Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the promised king they've been longing for. And he's not only the king of Israel, he is the king of the world. As Christians, right, living in 21st century Western culture, we are absolutely familiar with the word Christ. We are. And because of our familiarity with the term Christ, it's easy, very easy for us to miss out on uh, the impact of the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Remember this, that Jesus was the son of a Jewish carpenter. This is historically true. And in his early 30s, what he did was he traded professions, right? And went into the ministry. He had a few followers and then he was crucified by Jewish authorities. Tony Payne, who's another Australian, describes Jesus as an obscure man who died an early and humiliating death, seemingly without having achieved any great success. Yet, in this letter, and throughout the you know the Bible. Um, This letter, which was penned by Paul to a group of Christians in Colossae about 25 years after Jesus' death, he consistently lets them know that Jesus is the Christ. And so the question is, what does this mean to us? What does it mean for Jesus to be the Christ? If you're here and you're a Christian, You understand the term Christ, okay? You read it all the time, but does that make sense? Do you understand the impact this is making? This is saying that Jesus Christ, right, is king, right? And it's the coming Messiah and the promised Messiah, not just of Israel, but he is the king of the world. And if he's the king of the world, and he's the creator of the world because Jesus is God, okay, this must mean that, If Jesus is king of the world, you are expected to live for him and to worship him. If you're here and you're not a Christian, what this is saying is that because Jesus is who he is and the king, you are expected to recognize him for who he is and live for him and worship him, and give your life to serve in him. This is true. Jesus is not just this moral teacher. Jesus is not just the poster boy of social justice. You know, he did some cool stuff, but Jesus is actually the king of the world, the creator of the world, and he's alive, and he's going to return And because he's who he says he is, he demands and requires your respect. But you can choose. You can choose to say, oh, I don't believe this. I've heard this and I don't believe in Jesus and everything like that. You can choose that. But when you choose that, know that that is risky and there are consequences. So, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I got two parking tickets in the same area, in the area that I live in. I don't know what's going on with this area, the PB area, but they have been, like, just distributing tickets. I mean, every, I walk a lot, and so everywhere I walk, I'm seeing yellow, 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 um, you know, envelopes on cars everywhere. And the first time I got the ticket, I was like, oh, my goodness, I park here all the time for more than two hours and no one ever gives me a ticket. No, this is not right. But I had to accept it because I had gone over the two-hour parking limit, right? And then the reason why I didn't take heed, right? The reason why I still parked for over two hours was because I literally thought this was just a one-time coincidence and there is no way I'm going to get another ticket, okay? I was like, okay, they have two hours there. I had a ticket, but I always park here for more than two hours. And because I always park here for two hours, I'm going to do it again. And I'm not going to listen to the law or read the signs and take the signs seriously. That was my mentality. (laughs) <laughs> what was that? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but, 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 you, you see? And so in my mind, I would see the signs and they would say two hours, but I wouldn't take them seriously. And now <laughs> I do. I literally have a timer to I change, you know, move my car. But before I didn't because I just thought those signs were meaningless and they were just putting them up in the same way. What I'm trying to communicate is that. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you've heard the claims of Christianity. You've heard about Jesus Christ and who he is and how he lived and how he demands your life and worship. And you can ignore it and keep ignoring it and keep ignoring it. But one day, when he does return, which the Bible talks about, you will respond with i heard but i didn't take it seriously and that will not be enough it will be costly for you and that is what the bible says i'm just a messenger <laughs> you know i always i'm just a messenger it's hard it's harsh but i'm just a messenger in verse 1 um it says, the last part of verse one, let's read it again. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seated things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Um, this term, seated um, at the right hand of God, is unfamiliar um, with so many of us. Um, and so the question is, what does it mean? Um, in this case, the expressions seated and right hand of God are both symbolic and not literal. Okay. In Scripture, um, specifically Matthew twenty three, two, and even in modern times, the word seated can refer to being installed in a position of authority. In Scripture, the right hand is a commonly used um, um, image. It generally means closeness, possession, authority, honor, or power. Therefore, Um, As one theologian said, a person of high rank who put someone on his right hand gave him equal honor with himself and recognized him as possessing equal dignity and authority. And this is what the Apostle Paul writes of Jesus in this verse. Thomas Aquinas, who was a theologian and philosopher born circa 1225 in Italy, notes that Jesus being situated at the right hand of God, Right? Means that he dwells with God, the Father in heaven. He shares with the Father all authority, um, judgment, and power. Jesus shares in the glory and honor of the Father, and all things belong to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And what this means, again, is that Jesus is equal with God. And if Jesus is equal with God, that must mean Jesus is God. Okay? He's God's appointed king. Not only of Israel, but he's king of the world. And he rules over all the nations of the world with justice and righteousness. And he's going to be ruling forever. Okay? And so what is this all telling us? This term, Jesus seated at the right hand of God. Just just telling us that Jesus is equal with God. If you don't remember anything I say, and you might remember a lot or you might remember nothing, but if you don't remember anything I say, just remember that Jesus is God. And throughout the Bible, throughout Scripture, Scripture continually reminds us that Jesus is God. So the Colossians, Christians... Had died and been raised together with Christ. They were now hidden away with Christ in God. And at Christ's return on the last day of history, they would be revealed with Him, clothed in gro- glory. Okay? And so the thing is, what is true um, for a collective of Jesus' followers in a first century city called Coliseum is also true for us as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ um, in San Diego. And so if you're here and you're committed follower of Jesus, you have been united with Jesus, the Christ. This is what this is referring to. This whole idea of um, being raised with Christ, dying with Jesus and being hidden in him. It basically means that we've been united with Christ. And now we live um, our lives being defined not by what we do, okay? Not by our job, not by um, our relationships, not by our past experiences, not by our gifts um, and talents. We don't live. We don't. Um, we don't prioritize those things as uh, as what defines us. What needs to define us and who needs to define us is Jesus. And our union with Jesus in his death and resurrection not only provide us with hope for the future, absolutely does. We're told here in verse 4, but it also means if you're here and you're a Christian, what that means is you have being blessed with every spiritual blessing, okay? And if we had time, I know that is a language most of you don't understand, but if we had time to break down all the benefits and blessings of being with Jesus or being united with Jesus, we would be here for days and months and years. Like, it's insane, yeah? But what I want to do is just highlight um, a few of the benefits um, that come with being united, that comes with being a Christian. One of them is that you're a child of God, That's mind-blowing. It should be mind-blowing if it's not. Being a child of God means that you are a child of the creator of heaven and earth. Like we step outside and we see nature and creation and, you know, even look at yourself in the mirror. How you're made and how you're created. Think that there is a creator who made all of those things. Who made you, who made all of creation. Right, standing before a mountain or looking at the ocean. If we go west down that way, we're going to come to the ocean. And to think of how great and how mysterious the ocean is—it's incredible to think that, man, it's huge. Seventy-five percent of the globe is water. Right? I know that because someone was trying to teach me how to swim yesterday, and they reminded me—well, uh, no, they used that as a motivation, right, um, for for the fact that I should swim. And so I know that seventy-five. 5% of the globe is <laughs> it, made it, you know is water and um and, <laughs> and it's crazy to think that within like the sea and the ocean just fascinates me because within under lurking in the ocean is like creatures right that some of them we're familiar with but in the twilight zone as they say there are things that we've not even discovered yet as humans That's just the tipping point. And then we go to space okay and we look at the the planets and the universe and how like you know the the fact that if the earth was a little bit closer to the sun we would all burn and the earth would melt or if the earth our earth that we live in was a little bit away from the sun we would all like um freeze to death and just the complexity and the amazement of creation and to think that the one behind it all The one who created everything is your father. That's insane. And the reason why God creator is your father is because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. And as a believer, as someone who's united with Christ, that is one of the incredible blessings to know that God creator is on earth. And he not only created things, but he controls everything. It's insane. Um... It's just one benefit of being united with Christ. Um, and the other thing is forgiveness of sins. Right? To know that you have been forgiven of sin is huge. What does that mean? We are all people that do really bad things or mildly bad things. Okay? So think about that. We're all sinners. Okay? We do bad things. And we can think to ourselves... Um, when we think about doing bad things, yeah, as long as it's not um, something bad against another human being, is fine, right? But what this means, when we talk about sin, sin goes deeper and wider than that. It talks about the fact that even our thoughts and our, in, our motives, if they are wrong, okay, they, are, they might not be seen by other people, but they're seen by God himself, Okay? And so sin is not just against people and doing bad stuff, which we all have. Sin is ultimately against God, right? And so, whatever we do, whatever bad thing we've done or will continue to do, um, God sees it and He knows it, right? And the reason why um, He's not punishing us for it is because of Jesus Christ. Right? If we are in Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins. What that means is that before God, we are righteous. Why? Because we have been closed with, with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So, this is who we are. We are Christ like, we are a people who identify ourselves ultimately with Jesus Christ. He must be our all in all. That is why we sing those songs to him. Christ is enough for us because he is. There are so many things we want to identify ourselves with. There are so many things in this world... We aim or try to seek in order uh, um, to satisfy this ongoing craving um, within us for significance and security and satisfaction. We live seeking um, 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 joy and delight in created things. We travel, we go here and we do this and we want to climb up the career ladder and become successful. Um, we want to um, be healthy and so we are like running and jumping and squatting and, you know, burping and and Is that a word? I don't know. We're doing all of these things. We are seeking significant security and satisfaction. And most of the time we are seeking it in the wrong places. And most of the time we're seeking it in the wrong people and wrong persons. And this is it, throughout scripture, it's just telling us that Jesus needs to be enough. Once we know Jesus we will be satisfied. I'm not saying life is gonna be jolly and everything's gonna be awesome. No, I'm not saying that and I'm not promising that. Following Jesus is actually intense, actually. It really is. But what that teaches us what that teaches us is that we don't we don't place all of our all of our life and joy in this world and in the things of this world. Once we place all of our trust, all of our security, all of our, everything, we seek it in Christ, it's secure. Because we have eternal life with him and everything like that. An American citizen recently achieved something no American has ever achieved or will probably never achieve. Okay, Her name is Megan Markle. And on, yeah, Megan. Yeah, you guys know Megan, right? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. Just making sure you know the name. Um, May 19th of this year, she married into the royal family. Okay? She is now, right, an American member of the royal family. That is what I'm trying to tell you. She's achieved something no American has ever achieved or will ever achieve. It's incredible what she's achieved. Being united in matrimony with Prince Harry means her life has drastically changed. Before she got married, okay, or when she was engaged, she was an actress, she was doing all sorts of stuff. But as soon as she married into the royal family, her life changed. She couldn't live the life she always lived okay i went online and i just found out some of the things that will change for her okay the first thing that will change is that she's not she's no longer allowed to sign autographs all right she's just not right if you see megan and go can you sign can you sign my she's not allowed to do that Because of security reasons and the royal family and all of that. It's high standards. This is incredible. Um, The next thing is she'll possibly uh, not be allowed to vote. Okay? Because the royal family, okay, um, they take a neutral position when it comes to politics. Okay? That's number two. Number three, she'll have a new bedtime. And the reason is, apparently, okay, people are shocked by that. Uh, Let me explain. Apparently, when the queen um, hosts a banquet of any kind, okay, if you're an attendee, you can only leave when the queen leaves, okay? And so that changes everything with bedtime, okay? And so if you're tired and the queen's just sitting there, not saying anything, she doesn't say much anymore, and just sort of waving, all right, for 10 hours. You're just going to have to stay until she leaves the room, and then you can go to bed, all right? It's a bit like now with the sermon, you can't leave, even if you're tired, uh, until I'm done, <laughs> right? You can't, you just have to stay, all right? Um, next thing is no more acting she can't be acting anymore i heard she did suits whatever that She can't be doing anything anymore and she'll not be allowed to travel solo okay in the same way in a similar way as believers because we're now united with jesus christ okay uh, we're expected to live differently expected to live differently and in this passage, we are, um, we are made aware of um, ways where to live um, as people that are now followers and disciples of Jesus, okay? To begin with, we're expected to live Christ-centered lives, okay? In, verses one, in verse 1, we're told to seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The term seek is described by Steve Petit in his study of Colossians as an urgent quest that engages our will. He goes on to say that we are to be as earnest in seeking Christ as the shepherd who sought his lost sheep, or the woman who sought her lost coin, or the father who sought his lost son. And these are all stories found in Luke 15. All right. Also, this kind of seeking demands um, ongoing effort. Okay? We are to persistently seek and keep on seeking. Um, it takes perseverance. And so, this mindset um, or, or, the, or what is being communicated to us, this kind of seeking is to be something that is persevering and unwavering. Where to keep on seeking. And the next thing we are told to do is found in verse two, um, and it instructs us to set our minds on things that are above. Basically, what means is that this—it's this razor focus. All right. This continual thinking about things that are above. And this is the kind of focus we're expected to have as believers. Just razor sharp, persistent on all of that. And uh, and the object of this seeking and this setting of our minds, um, we find in verses 1 and 2, and it's the things that are above. The things that are above. You guys are seeing that, right? Are you following? Who's not reading their Bible? Who's not reading? No one? I'm kidding let's go. Um, so, so when it talks about seeking setting our minds of the things that are above, this is not talking about um, a place, okay It's not talking about a place, it's talking about a person, right where to seek the things that are above, first one, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. what this means is that seeking things above means Focusing on Jesus Christ. Again, R. Kent Hughes is helpful when he says this. This is fantastic. The things that are above are not material, but rather have to do with Christ's sovereign reign over the universe as he fills the universe with his power. We are not to be seeking heavenly geography, but the one who dwells there. So what does this mean? This means that um, for us as believers, as we're seeking the things that are above, is to make sure that the practical, everyday affairs of life get their direction from Christ who is in heaven. In a nutshell, it means we're to live Christ-centered lives. The focal point of our lives must be Jesus himself. Everything we do should be inspired by the life, teaching, and sacrifice of Jesus Christ himself. So the question is, what does this practically look like? Okay? To seek the things that are above. Okay? It means that we seek and set our minds of Je- on Jesus. Okay? What does that look like? A Christ-centered life is what that looks like. And so what is a Christ-centered life? A Christ-centered life begins with the realization that the source of who we are is the Lord. He created us. We've talked about that. He owns us. He gifted us with talents. He's the author of our story. And every good and perfect gifts we receive comes from Him. Did you hear that last part? Every good and perfect gift comes from Jesus, who is God. A Christ-centered life also means that a person is the motivation for everything we think, say, and do. The person of Jesus Christ should define us, not how well we do things for him. Again, it's that distinction of what defines you. Is it who Jesus is and says who he, uh, and, and, and what he says you are? Or is it what you do for him? When we live a Christ-centered life, the decisions we make are no longer controlled by our selfish desires, but by new desires we get from his love. Lastly, a Christ-centered life recognizes that this life is not all there is. And that eternity is on the horizon. And lastly, A Christ-centered life is more than just a ticket out of hell, says Paul Tripp. He goes on to say, we have hope in the here and now because Christ has promised his presence and grace until we go home. And so the question is, are you living a Christ-centered life? Because you can be a Christian and not live a Christ-centered life. You really can. Is Jesus the source of your life? Is Jesus the motivation for everything you do? Is Jesus your goal? Is your hope both for today and for eternity in Jesus Christ? Are you living your life in view of all that Jesus has done for you? Or are you living to gain and attain love and grace and mercy from Jesus? Jesus should be our primary focus. He really should be our primary focus. And I'm going to stop there. Not, because, not just because of time, but because I think it's appropriate that I'll stop there. But if when you leave and you don't remember anything, this is what I want you to Remember? I want you to remember that G- who Jesus Christ is. I want you to remember what Jesus Christ done. And I want you to remember that Jesus' life, Jesus' death, Jesus' burial, Jesus' resurrection is not just a, a cool story in history. It matters. And it matters to you as a human being. And how it matters is that Jesus is the king and creator of the universe. And he created you. And he desires and demands for every single person on this planet to live their lives for him and in him and through him. And some of the ways you do that is by um, is by is by confessing to Jesus, confessing to Him that Jesus, I've been living my life outside of You, and I've not surrendered my life to you and trusted in you for salvation and um, I've been seeking joy and delight and satisfaction in so many things out there in this world and I'm walking it around and the more I experience life the, the, the more dissatisfied I become and um, you know I'm here and um, I came and I'm listening to this British guy talk a lot and all he's talking about is Jesus and all about Jesus and you know what I don't understand much But I'm going to start moving towards you, Jesus, and I'm going to pray for you. Um, I'm going to pray to you and ask you to make yourself known. That's what happened to me. How did I become a Christian? I was in London, and I was in my apartment, and I was just on my knees. And I prayed, and I said, Jesus, I heard about you. My grandma's talked about you. All these people, if you are real, make yourself known to me. And he did, and he will, if you ask him for that. So there's a lot I can say, but remember that it's all about Jesus. And this is why we're here. This is why you exist. You exist to glorify God. And the only way you can glorify God is if you surrender and give your life fully to Jesus. And I used fully intentionally for us as Christians already. Right? We can be distracted By work, we can be distracted by our careers. We can be distracted by relationships. We try and seek um, satisfaction and um, all of these things in people and in positions and in places. But we'll never find that. Our souls will continually be restless until they find their rest in Jesus Christ. And so as believers, let's encourage each other. And how do we encourage each other? Let's continue to point each other to Jesus Christ because he's the one that matters and he's the one that will satisfy our souls. He really will. Remember, don't seek feeling. Just seek him through singing, through reading the word. And those feelings will follow suit. We just have a habit of seeking things in places positions but Jesus is all that we need pray with me father thank you so much for this time thank you for allowing us to gather and hear about you and your word and who you are and so father I pray as we continue with our time here and we sing and we reflect and we um, even afterwards hang out may you help us um, know Jesus more and the more we know Jesus the more we will be satisfied And the more we'll be able to navigate through (laughs) even life's difficulties. Um, Father, it's not easy being followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. It's difficult. It's challenging. But we ask that you help us. You help us. And help us. A lot of us, just me in general, we want to figure everything out and have everything answered. But help us to practice and exercise simple faith and simple faith is continuing to meditate and reflect on who Jesus is and what he's done and so as we do that magnify Jesus in our hearts and in our minds in his name we pray amen Amen. And so we're going to have some time before we stand and sing. And Dan and the crew will indicate to you when you can stand and sing. But before that, what we like to do as a church is have a time of reflection okay and what we want to do is reflect on um, everything we've studied so far in Colossians we want to do that Um, and how you can do that is you can have the passage open in front of you you can read it over and over again or you can pray yeah you can pray about what we've talked about and what we've discussed during this time And so I want you to do that. And when you start to do that, know that there is a huge possibility, if you're like me, that you'd get distracted, okay? You're going to start thinking about your week. You're going to start thinking about, gosh, I've been here for a while and I need to go out. Or you're going to start thinking about lunch or something, okay? What I want you to do is focus, okay? Remember in our passage, we talked about seeking, that intentional unwavering pursuit okay we've also talked about setting our minds and so this is a great opportunity for us to set our minds and be fixated on jesus and so spend this time praying reading whatever you need to do make good use of it and then when it's time they will um, indicate to you to stand and when you sing sing believe in these truths that you're singing Amen.